It's not a mysterious genetic condition. It's very clearly explained. 50 years of clinical science explains exactly what causes myopia. Just peer-reviewed clinical science that demonstrates that wearing glasses makes your eyesight worse. 10 years ago, I didn't hear from parents. Now it's mostly parents and it's every day. The fluctuation that you experience, your eyesight's never the same. And that measurement that the optometrist does is not objective. Every three to four months, you can reduce a quarter dot. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. This is a super cool inspirational episode, friends. It really is interesting how much we don't talk about eye health when our eyes are actually our second most complex organ after our brain. And eyesight is something that affects people in so many different ways, nearsighted, farsighted, which by the way, we will dive deep into what all of that actually means because I know for me personally, I always got confused about everything. I talk about this in the episode, but I was nearsighted and could not see far away. And getting LASIK eye surgery was one of the most profound experiences of my life. I do not regret it at all. I got it done and all I could think was, why didn't I do this earlier? That said, Jake Steiner has a very interesting approach to eyesight and how you can actually change your eyesight yourself. No surgery required, no glasses required, no contacts. So I would love to hear your experiences with eyesight, with glasses, with contacts, with LASIK, or with this method. Definitely let me know in the Facebook group that is IF Biohackers Intermittent Fasting plus Real Foods plus Life. There will also be a giveaway for this episode in that group. Just find the pinned announcement post there about this episode and comment something you learned or something that resonated with you to enter to win something that I love. And then check out my Instagram, Melanie Avalon. Find the Friday announcement post there and again comment to enter to win something that I love. The show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com/myopia. M-Y-O-P-I-A. Those show notes will have a full transcript, so definitely check that out. If you are enjoying the show, it would mean the absolute world, world, world. If you ever have a moment to write a brief iTunes review, it helps so much more than people realize. So thank you so much in advance for that. I have a very exciting announcement, friends. I have officially launched a TikTok channel. I've been on Instagram for a while, but it is time for TikTok. And with the channel, I'm going to be posting daily, very high quality, awesome biohacking content, tips and tricks, things from my life. And I really want to bring the glam to biohacking because I feel like biohacking can be very male centric or focused on a certain type of person. And I just want to break that stereotype and bring all the sparkles. So please join me there. My handle is Melanie Avalon Official. Please let me know what you'd like to see from me, what you think of the content. 
I do feel pretty shy about it. So please join me so that we can be friends and just go on the most epic biohacking adventure. Okay, friends, spirulina update. It is still coming. I know it's been taking a while. It's just because I want to make the most ideal spirulina tablets on the market, ones that are tested for purity and potency and to be free of all pesticides and just the highest quality. So we've got that spirulina source. It tastes awesome. The issue we're experiencing is that in order to make it into tablets, it requires another ingredient. If you're currently taking spirulina tablets and they say they are one ingredient, they are not one ingredient. There is something in there that is helping to keep that structure. So we're trying to figure out which route to go with this. It's really fun because I keep trying different samples. I think I know which one I like the most, but we'll see which one I end up picking. Either way, I really love the taste of our spirulina. It doesn't taste fishy or LGE, and I really experience the benefits. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can get my other Avalon X supplements at avalonx.us. Friends, have you jumped on the serapeptase bandwagon yet? That's what I launched with, and to this day, it continues to be my most favorite supplement ever. It's a proteolytic enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm. When you take it in the fasted state, it actually breaks down non-living problematic proteins in your body, so it can help address an array of issues. Like I said, it will clear your sinuses, calm inflammation, it may help reduce cholesterol. Studies have shown it can break down amyloid plaque, it can help alleviate pain, and so much more. I take it daily. It is one of the most important supplements in my arsenal. This is the new year. Start it off right. Get some serapeptase. You can get 10% off with the coupon code Melanie Avalon, as well as a 20% off code when you text Avalon X to 877-861-8318. That's Avalon X to 877-861-8318. Those codes will also work with my fantastic partner, MD Logic Health. For that, go to melanieavalon.com slash mdlogic. And of course, all of my supplements I formulated to be the very best on the market. They're tested multiple times for heavy metals and mold. They're free of all common allergens as well as problematic fillers, which goes back to that whole spirulina formulation issue I was talking about. They come in glass bottles to help prevent leaching of plastics into ourselves and the environment. And we even use the minimal amount of stickiness required for the labels to help with our environmental impact. To get these fantastic products, go to avalonx.us and definitely get on my email list so that you don't miss the spirulina launch special. For that, go to avalonx.us slash email list. Another resource for you guys if you struggle with food sensitivities like I do, you have got to get my app, Food Sense Guide. It's a comprehensive catalog of over 300 foods for 11 potentially problematic compounds. These include things you may be reacting to, like gluten, lectins, FODMAPs, histamine, oxalates, sulfites, thiols, whether or not something is a nightshade, and so much more. It even includes autoimmune paleo AIP status. You can learn about the compounds, create your own list to share and print, and finally take charge of your food sensitivities. It is a top Apple app, often in the top 10 for the Apple food and drinks charts. And friends, get it now because I'm going to be updating it to a subscription basis soon. So you definitely want to get grandfathered in for life at one super low price. With the subscriptions, by the way, I'm going to be implementing some pretty cool features. So I need to do subscriptions to help support that. So like I said, get it now before we change to subscriptions. You can get it at melanieavalon.com slash foodsenseguide. And one more thing before we jump in. Did you know there are over a thousand compounds found in conventional skincare and makeup in the U.S. 
that have been banned in Europe due to their toxicity. If you are using conventional skincare and makeup, you are directly putting into your bloodstream toxic compounds, including obesogens, which can literally cause your body to store and gain weight. So if your diet's not working, you might want to think about what's happening with your skincare and makeup, as well as carcinogens linked to cancer. I'm not making this up and just endocrine disruptors in general, which mess with our hormones. Thankfully, there's an easy solution to this. There's a company called Beauty Counter, and they were founded on a mission to change this. Every single ingredient is extensively tested to be safe for your skin, so you can truly feel good about what you put on, and their products really work. I am obsessed with their overnight resurfacing peel, their vitamin C serum, they have shampoo and conditioner, skincare lines for every skin type, and incredible makeup. It's so amazing that Tina Fey actually wore all beauty counter makeup when she hosted the Golden Globes. So yes, it is high definition camera ready. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code cleanforall20 to get 20% off site-wide. You can get the latest updates from me, specials, sales, samples, and so much more on my email list. That's at melanieavalon.com slash clean beauty. And you can join me in my Facebook group, Clean Beauty and Safe Skincare with Melanie Avalon. People share product reviews and their experiences. And I do a giveaway every single week in that group as well. And lastly, if you're thinking of making clean beauty and safe skincare a part of your future, like I have, I definitely recommend becoming a band of beauty member. It's sort of like the Amazon Prime for clean beauty. You get 10 10% back in product credit, free shipping on qualifying orders, and a welcome gift that is worth way more than the price of the year-long membership. It is totally, completely worth it. And I'll put all this information in the show notes. An important announcement, friends. My EMF blocking products are coming. Make sure you don't miss the launch special. For that, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list. EMFs are actually classified by the IARC as a group 2B, possibly carcinogenic to humans. These are such a problem. We are exposed to them through our Wi-Fi, our cell phones, our AirPods, and they are linked to so many health issues, including anxiety, migraines, headaches, even fertility issues. This is such a problem. Thankfully, you can address your EMF exposure. I'm going to help with that with my Avalon X EMF blocking product line. So again, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list to check that out. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this wonderful conversation with Jake Steiner. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly excited about the conversation that I am about to have. It is about a topic that I think is so important and that affects so many people's lives and isn't really talked about that much. And I was just reflecting on this. I don't think in the entirety of the show, I've really even approach this topic. So I'm very excited. I am here today with Jake Steiner. He is the founder of End Myopia, and he's really just a wonder when it comes to the potential concept of addressing myopia, which is nearsightedness through, well, we're going to talk about it on the show, but taking charge and potentially fixing it, curing it. I don't know. I guess <laughs> I guess I'll find out the details about that. But yeah, so there's just so much here to learn and I'm really excited to jump in. And Jake, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So to start things off, would you like to tell listeners a little bit about your personal story? Like, did you struggle with being nearsighted growing up? Did you have an epiphany one day of how you could address it? 
what's your story? Why are you doing what you're doing now? Somebody called it an origin story one time. Ever since then, I'm having a superhero complex. Yes. What is your origin story, Jake? Yes. So I started needing glasses when I was about 12, I want to say. And I'm in my 40s now, so that was fairly common back then. Once you're in school and you have lots of homework, you're spending a lot of time in front of books. Today, it's quite different with screens. It's worse today. But my parents took me to the optometrist. My parents are both medical doctors. And the optometrist says, you're squinting and you, you need glasses. My parents were quite upset about it. I was super excited because it was like an adventure. You know, there's lots of cool frames. I was getting lots of... Me too. <laughs> When that happened, I remember being like that. Yeah, I was getting so much attention and there was a whole new thing. And then when they were done, when we got to pick them up, I went outside. It's downtown in this little town in Germany. And I was just amazed at the 3D-ness of the world. Like it was just so sharp and amazing. So I love glasses. Every year or two, every few years after that, I got new ones. Upsetting my parents every time because they were... Yeah, they were not happy that there was something wrong with me. But I liked it. But on the on the flip side, it made me... I remember I loved sports before. I played water polo. I was on the rowing team. I, I really was into a lot of just physical activity. And wearing glasses turned me into kind of a nerd introvert. I got bullied more. I started reading a lot. I, I, I thought I was clumsy. I was still swimming, but I stopped doing a lot of sports. And then... That continued. And then in my adult life, I became an analyst for a large banking organization. And I got into finance a lot. And then I became an investor. And then I retired early because I was lucky. And that by that time, I had minus five doctor, super thick, strong glasses. And I was single and I was traveling. And the stronger your glasses are, the smaller your eyes look behind them. So I had these tiny little piggy eyes. And... <laughs> It's not cool for a single dude. And then I went to the optometrist one day because at night I couldn't figure out if taxis were available or not because the little sign and light in them, I just couldn't read. And the optometrist said I needed glasses, stronger glasses. And that was the first time I went by myself in my adult life. I'd never gone back since I was a kid. And I asked why. And the optometrist says genetic. And just from schooling, just from general education, I'm like, that can't. That's not how genetics work. Like humanity at large didn't lose their ability to see clearly in the last several decades. Like it's not, that's just not how genetics work. So I, I went and I went to a library because that was before the internet was all fancy like it is today. And I read the biology books and I found what causes myopia. And it's, it was weird because it's not a secret. It's not a, it's not a mysterious genetic condition. It's very clearly explained 50 years of clinical science explains exactly what causes myopia. And then I also found that glasses make myopia worse. Like literally, it's just in the books. And I went back to the optometrist. I'm like, what's up with this? And the optometrist kicked me out of their office. It was a super jarring experience. Like it was really, I couldn't, it just kicked me out. I'm like, this is just, I'm, I'm reading this stuff. And they were like, well, if you're not buying glasses, you're not, don't need to be here. And that kicked off a journey that just rubbed me the wrong way. I mean, this has been almost 20 years now. I figured out how to reverse it. I don't wear glasses anymore at all. I have 20-20 eyesight. And then I started a blog just ranting about my experiences. And somehow that became sort of popular. And people started following it. And people started trying stuff. And then people started messaging me. 
And before it was just friends and random people, but it turned into this now fairly big community all over the world. And lots of people have done it. There's tons of improvement reports. There's tons of reports of people having reversed their myopia. Optometrists confirmed everything. And it's not my profession because financially I don't need to be doing it. And I'm not looking for fame, but it's sort of become this, this thing that just continues to exist because people are excited about not being dependent on glasses. And optometry is a hundred billion dollar year industry that that feeds on people's ignorance about how the eyesight works. Wow. Okay. That is quite the origin story. And then on top of being the origin story, I mean, talk about a teaser that you've discovered the secret that's not a secret to what is causing this issue. Can we clarify? Because I, I think a lot of people get confused between nearsighted and farsighted. So can we create some definitions? And also I was looking it up and apparently there's presbyopia as well. So like there's myopia, hyperopia, and presbyopia. So what is all of these things? Nearsightedness, it's it's kind of opposite of what you would think. So short-sightedness or nearsightedness means you can see clear at close distances, but not far away. So when you're short-sighted, you can't see clearly at a distance. Kind of weird. And far-sighted is the opposite. You can see, you can't see clearly up close. It sort of makes sense though, because near-sighted, you can see things that are near. And far-sighted, you can see things that are far. Yeah, I guess so. So the the far-sighted is also called hyperopia. And then there's presbyopia that's age-related, same symptom. So you can't read things up close. Hyperopia is if you're having that symptom, but you're not over 40 and presbyopia is the same symptom, but it's, you didn't have it till you got a little bit older and then you start needing, needing reading glasses. Okay. So for the farsighted, we have farsighted and we have presbyopia. So we have, wait, wait, hyperopia? Hyperopia. Yeah. Okay. So hyperopia and presbyopia. So is there a correlation for myopia and fill in the blank? So what's actually happening with the nearsighted and the farsighted? Okay, so this is super, super weird. And I recommend people go to scholar.google.com. That's Google search engine just for clinical science. So if you want to read the papers, peer-reviewed clinical journals, super neat. And I'm not saying the science is, you know, indisputable, but it's a better starting point than just a general mess of the internet. And you type in pseudomyopia. P-S-E-U-D-O, myopia, or a long one that's used a lot is near-induced transient myopia. That kind of gives away the spoiler. Near-induced, meaning caused by near vision. Transient, meaning temporary. And myopia, of course, nearsightedness. You're going to find tens of thousands of search results. And this is pretty weird because it's tens of thousands of results of peer-reviewed clinical science articles explaining what causes nearsightedness. So weird. It's so weird. And I couldn't believe it because I'm not into conspiracies or, you know, when, when people talk about oh, the, the doctors hiding things and just selling me pills and blah, like I've never been big on that side. And it's so strange to go, they completely understand. Academia completely understands what causes bad eyesight. But when you go to the retail optometrist, they claim it's mysterious and genetic. And basically what causes it is your eye has a muscle in the front. It's called the ciliary muscle inside of the eye that moves the lens like a camera lens. When you focus at something up close, that lens 
bulges out basically to give you clear close-up vision. And when you look at a distance, that, that muscle relaxes and that lens flattens and then you have clear distance vision. So it's like the auto-focusing mechanism of a camera, not designed for extremely long periods of close-up vision. A lot of people talk to me like since the whole uh, last two years and the COVID situation, people spend a lot more time in front of screens. They're, they're having more eyesight distance vision issues. That muscle gets stuck. It's, it's a muscle spasm. So pseudomyopia, if you look that up on Google Scholar, is very clearly explained as that muscle that's supposed to move freely to focus the lens for near and far vision gets stuck in close-up mode. So there's not a genetic illness or defect. It's just you spend so much time staring at something up close that that muscle was tight for so long that it doesn't totally relax. So your lens is kind of stuck in between close-up and distance mode. So the distance stuff seems slightly blurry. And that is the first time you went to the optometrist, that was what you had. So is that different? Because I was reading that myopia was when your eyeball was too long and that farsighted was when it was too short. Is that different? The length of the eyeball? Research. I love it. Yes. So, <laughs> so first, yes, that's correct. That can be correct. There's lots of ways to end up nearsighted, but that's super common. And what happens, so it's a two-part story. The first half is you had a muscle spasm, right? Like the first time you went to the optometrist, if the optometrist wasn't in the business to make money, they would have told you you're camping for a weekend, your eyesight would have improved. But instead they sold you glasses. And then you go back to Google Scholar and you type in lens-induced myopia. And that's also super weird to me because you're going to get, again, tens of thousands of search results of just peer-reviewed clinical science that demonstrates that wearing glasses makes your eyesight worse. It's not a side effect or whatever. It's, it, it does, that's specifically what it does. And they tried this on fish. I don't know how they put glasses on fish, but they did. Chickens, monkeys, and humans. You put minus lenses, the glasses you need for distance vision, in front of the eye, and an interesting thing happens. So the, the eye is a fluid-filled ball. And it's never perfectly shaped because it's, you know, it's not made out of glass or a material that's immutable in shape. So it has a built-in mechanism to adjust the shape continuously from the day you're born till the day you die. Because the lens is in the front and the retina is in the back of that eyeball and the light has to travel through it to focus on the retina. Mechanism built in to adjust the length of the eye. And part of the way that works, the, just the super short version is the retina in the back of the eye, there's a mechanism that checks, does all the light focus on the retina? And if some of the light focuses in front of the retina, the eyeball shortens. And if some of the light focuses behind the retina, the eyeball elongates. And what happens with glasses is instead of fixing the muscle spasm, the glasses just move the light further back in your eye to give you back clear distance vision despite the muscle spasm. But the thing that also happens is by moving the light further back in the eye, some of the light scatters behind the retina, telling the eyeball to elongate. So now the thing you were talking about exactly, a longer eyeball means more myopia, means you're more nearsighted, is caused by the lens wear. So you buy the glass from the optometrist and a year later your eye will have adjusted, thinking it's doing the right thing. It's a perfectly healthy eye, will have increased in length, and now your eyesight is worse and you need stronger glasses. How can it be caused by the glasses if people need the glasses to begin with? They don't. 
the people need to relax the muscle spasm. So the reason you can't see at a distance is because the like a camera lens, the, the muscle has the lens stuck in close-up mode. What, what, what you need is for that muscle to relax. So instead of going to the optometrist in the beginning, you just needed plenty of distance vision time and not much close-up time, I would have relaxed, right? The initial use of the glasses is to make the stu- overcome the stuck muscle, moves the light further back in your eye, making the eye elongate. Is that why there's a stereotype around smart kids having glasses because they're reading books constantly and looking at things up close all the time? Kind of. And I think that's an interesting part of this whole story because people don't care about having to wear glasses. And I always say glasses affect everything, personality, posture, sports performance, like those things are really limiting you. And one of the things is there's a question of cause and effect, right? Like I wasn't that smart. I'm still not that smart or nerdy, but wearing glasses made me read books a lot because I couldn't do other stuff much and my social interactions were limited, right? Like kids start bullying you. If you show up in school with glasses, good luck. (laughs) It's not, you know, it's not, kids are mean and evil, but your, your social interactions slightly change because now when you're wearing glasses, you're training your eyes to look through the center of the lens. So your eye movement, your head movement, your neck movement is slightly different than a person who doesn't wear glasses. So you seem a little bit weird, just a tiny little bit. If you interact with somebody wearing glasses, you're just assuming that that's who they are. But if you think about it, there's some, if you watch them knowing this, you're like, oh, that's a little off. So you seem a little strange. So it affects your social interactions. So you tend to become more introverted. Books is a great escape. Today, now, that's a different story because since screens became the thing, the game has changed somewhat. But before that was the case, right? Like you can't do sports as well because you don't want glasses knocked off your face. You get more fearful. You lose your peripheral vision. So your visual cortex says, be careful. So you think you're more clumsy, but it's really just your brain trying to stop you from doing something that that affects you not being able to see. So you, you get away from physical activity. You get away from people. And till screens were the things, book, books were the, the escape route. So I was actually going to say, because you're mentioning the sports, because I was trying to think of, you know, what would be the most stimulating environment for a child where they're looking farther away more often. I'm assuming that's probably something like sports. So have they done correlational studies on activities that kids engage in and correlating to if they're nearsighted or farsighted? Not nearly well enough. And it's, to me, it's super frustrating how underexplored this whole area is. A lot of studies, right, like funding is necessary. Right. So a lot of studies have a desired outcome or at least looking at, okay, what are the options here? And it's, it's a hugely underserved area in terms of how do these things really affect you? It's a fairly simple industry in that so a pair of glasses, like the, just the lenses and glasses cost 2 to $5 wholesale to the optometrist. They, they, they cost nothing. They're curved, clear curved pieces of plastic. But they sell them for hundreds of dollars. The average markup is something like 5,000%. It's a $100 billion year industry. Glasses, then there's also contact lenses, LASIK surgery, all the consequences of high myopia that later have 
medical issue outcomes. So the whole industry is really just focused on the academia says we understand what causes myopia and then the whole retail side of it just sells glasses. And there's not a whole lot of in-depth research on what are really the consequences of these things on people. Did myopia not even occur until we reached a certain point of civilization? Like do hunter-gatherer societies not even have myopia? Yeah, you wouldn't have lasted very long in a hunter-gatherer society. The first documented cases of myopia, or more than a few, was 16th century monks. Monks got myopia. And they were the only ones, right? So the glasses were invented around the 16th century, as far as we know. And it was because monks started to not have great distance vision, right? And they were the only ones who knew how to read and write. So that's where the whole thing started. And then not a whole lot changed till 19th century, where education started reaching a lot more people. And that's where Bates' method became popular there, early 20th century. And then it, the increase was fairly gradual from there. And then you saw a huge jump again recently, the last 10 years or so, where myopia is getting into younger and younger people. Right now, Hong Kong, Singapore have an incident rate of myopia in school-aged children of over 90%. 90% of kids need glasses, basically. So to clarify, is everybody born with perfect vision or without these issues? No, actually not at all. We're all born hyperopic. We're all born farsighted. Oh, okay. Yeah, all babies babies can't see your face when they're small. They're so cute. <laughs> I already have two of them and it's just so cute. But yeah, they can't see your face. Their eyes are too short. And then the misconception is that the eyeballs grow longer, which they don't. That mechanism that I talked about before that adjusts the length of the eyeball happens from the environment and the light going into the eye. So the baby's eye is too short, but the eye is figuring out what is the correct length. So the baby goes from hyperopic to seeing clearly by spending a lot of time looking around. Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference. May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando, and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and Dry Farm Wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples, meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. 
I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. That explains why, because now with screens and our modern lifestyle, really young kids are looking at things up close, like screens a lot. It's terrible. It's terrible. And so for context, weirdly, and I don't know, because I mean, Enmiopia is not a very professional style of destination and I'm not treating this like, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not an optometrist. I'm just an investor, right? Like I'm just a guy who figured out how to fix my eyes, but we've become a huge destination. So I get hundreds of emails every day. I can't read all my emails, but they get organized by the admins. I know what comes in 10 years ago. I didn't hear from parents. I mean, it was a little segment, you know, once in a while. Now it's mostly parents and it's every day. If I haven't read my email yet today because it's early in the morning, but I promise you there's going to be dozens of parents emailing me saying, hey, my five-year-old went to the optometrist. They say my five-year-old needs glasses. It's, it's super sad. And my first response to that is always iPads are not babysitters. If your kid is holding a phone in their short little arms, watching cartoons, the child will get glasses because the muscle spasm happens. When we do get glasses or contacts, how does that solve the problem? I know it's like a very basic question, but how, how does that allow us to see if, if our muscles are having these spasms? Yeah, so the muscle spasm, it's like if you take a camera and you set it to manual focus and you put the focus on something up close, right? If you then move the camera to look at the distance, everything is going to be blurry because the camera lens is set to close up. The muscle spasm does the same thing. It leaves the lens stuck in close up mode, right? Like it's, it's just, it's not broken. There's nothing wrong with it. It would just need time to relax. But it's if you had the manual camera just set to close up and now you're trying to see the distance, everything's blurry. It's just the muscle still in close up mode. And what that means inside your eye is the light that you need for the close-up part of the light is focusing in front of the retina, not on it. And that's why everything's blurry. You need the light to move back a little further to hit the retina. And that's what the glasses do. They just move the light back, which is the job of the, of the muscle, but the muscle's stuck. So it's almost like if you took a camera, right? A camera lens stuck in close-up mode, if you put glasses in front of it, the distance on the camera would look clear. So they're just compensating. The glasses are just compensating by moving the light back. Or it's like if you had a broken arm and instead of letting your arm do things, you just started like, I don't know, carrying your arm around. Like you never, you did everything for your arm and like never used your arm. Let the arm do its own stuff. It's a symptom fix, but it's a very, it belongs in the 16th century. And it's, again, like it's, 
still to this day talking about it. It's just strange because these journals that I mentioned that explain how this works, they're optometry and ophthalmology journals. So these are, these are publications meant for optometrists and ophthalmologists. Like it boggles my mind. It's super strange. Like, so there's, there's the retail optometrist who sells you glasses. And then there's the optometrist who is in academia who does this kind of research. And it's the same, well, not profession, but it's the same area of specialization. And the people in academia go, okay, glasses caused this. And not a question, like it's well explored. And then they print these journals and they send them to the people that sell you glasses who never apparently read them. It's super weird. So here's a huge question. I was myopic growing up and I got like you, I got glasses in middle school and then I got contacts and I wore contacts up until two years ago. And then I got LASIK. (laughs) I mean, I'm just going to be honest. It was like the most life change. I mean, it was incredible for my experience of it. It was incredible. So if it's the case that, you know, this is something where the eye is adjusting and, you know, that muscle's getting stuck and it's adjusting, how can a surgery seemingly magically fix it and not have any problems. And I know people say that, you know, they get problems later on, but I was super nervous about doing it. And so I pulled my Facebook group and I asked people for their experience with LASIK and I probably got over a hundred answers and nobody who had actually gotten LASIK had a bad experience. The only people who said negative things were people who said that they had heard of people having bad experiences, but everybody who got it, which is probably almost a hundred people, all positive. I'm not trying to say that that's the way to go, but it seems like if what's going on is that, you know, it's your muscle adjusting to your environment, then technically wouldn't you get LASIK and wouldn't you just go right back to your problem before because your eye would adjust again? So that's a, that's a good question. Those are, and I don't know how far to go with the answer since you already had LASIK. Lenses move the light further back in your eye for lenses that fix your short-sightedness. It doesn't matter what kind of lenses they are. Glasses and contact lenses are the same thing, right? They just, they refocus the light onto your retina. That's all they do. The, the contact lenses are just a more sophisticated way. But if you took it out and if you took a picture of glasses and contact lenses and zoomed in on the contact lenses, you would find the same exact shape. It does the same thing. I never thought about that. <laughs> yeah, it's just much smaller and it's soft and it fits on your eye. does the same thing, just refocuses light. Working the same way, same. it's just a different material. And it's just a way cooler, more advanced way to change the shape the, where light focuses. LASIK is the same as a contact lens. The, the contact lens is a, just a, a lens, right, that, that reshapes light, a miniaturized version of glasses. With LASIK, instead of sticking a contact lens in front of your eye, the shape change is cut into your eye so it's basically a permanent contact lens it doesn't it's it's no more a cure than glasses or contact lenses are it's just it's the next evolution right like glasses were first 16th century took us a long time to come up with a new thing technology evolved like first they were like glass like hard contact lenses those were rough and soft contact lenses now they have stuff that you can even leave in your eye which i don't recommend but the light changing properties are 
cut into the cornea of your eye. And that's the, the magic of LASIK, basically. So I want to go a little bit deeper here because I'm trying to understand, because that sounds, if that's the case, that you can actually reshape the eye, that would make it sound like you're born with a certain shape that could be reshaped. Is that not what is happening there? So the problem first was a muscle spasm, right? And then the eyeball elongated from the lens wear. And because of the eyeball being longer, you need stronger glasses. And stronger glasses is the same as stronger contacts, is the same as a LASIK surgery cutting further into the cornea. So the your cornea, the cornea is the front part of the eyeball, is shaped into this lens shape, basically. You don't need to do any of those things. You don't need to wear glasses. You don't need to wear contact lenses. You need, don't need to have LASIK. You can just reverse the elongation of the eyeball and you can reverse the muscle spasm and you can get back to 20, 20 vision that way. Yeah, that's a little further down the road. So first of all, you, you asked before, like if you had LASIK and your eyes were not getting quote unquote worse before, right? Like your, your eyesight was stable, then the LASIK is fine. If you were getting strong glasses every year and then you had LASIK, then the same thing will continue to happen because LASIK is not a cure. It's not a, it's no different than wearing contact lenses. So if before LASIK you kept needing stronger contact lenses, you will also see poorly again after LASIK a year or two or five later. If your vision has been the same for years and years and years on not changing anymore, it's just static at whatever your level was, then the LASIK will do fine. There's a fair amount of people that I get that had LASIK a longer time ago, five years, 10 years ago, that are back to the eyes are not as great as they used to be. There's an easy fix for that though. So that's not, that's not a big deal. The other thing with people who haven't had LASIK yet, if it works out fine, it worked out great. You're good, right? Like there's nothing to worry about in terms of your eyes going to fall out five years later. If you had issues, it would have been right after. I did a, I don't really do podcasts, but because this is such a popular topic, I had a podcast episode with Dr. Morris Waxler. He is the former head of the FDA surgical devices division, and he got LASIK approved. He's in his seventies now. He's got awesome Einstein hair going everywhere. He is the man who got LASIK approved at the FDA. And, and I don't, I'm not really trying to plug my podcast. You could chat with him. Brilliant guy. We had an hour conversation and since he got it approved, right? Like he's, I was shocked that he would talk about it. We go way back. So I was just surprised he would do it in a, in a public forum. He says there's pretty significant issues and the FDA had zero long-term testing. So there was no, for example, they cut the cornea, right? So all the nerves are cut. So you don't have any pain sensation. It takes a year for that to come back. The FDA didn't test for that at all, right? There is, he says, dry eye is a, is a fairly significant potential issue. Not for you since it worked out fine, but he says around 30% of people that get LASIK tend to have dry eyes. And that's not really something that can be addressed or reversed after the fact. And he went on for an hour explaining how the structural integrity of the eyes affected. For example, you can't become a fighter pilot because that flap never heals strongly enough to support the structural strength of the eye. And it was just an interesting conversation. I would, I would caution people who haven't had LASIK 
to take the chance, right? Like it's, even if you say it's 95%, you're going to be fine. It's going to work out great. If it doesn't, the consequences generally are not fixable and can be really severe. So it's a, especially for a, a procedure that you don't necessarily need, you take a longer route. You know what I mean? It's like getting your stomach stapled to lose weight versus under, learning and understanding diet and exercise to accomplish the same thing. I would, I would recommend approaching LASIK with, with caution. So I will definitely put a link in the show notes and the show notes will be at melanieavalon.com slash myopia to that podcast interview. So people can check that out. No, it's interesting because I'm just, I'm so torn on this because I hear everything that you're saying and I, I don't take it lightly at all. And I also agree with the stuff you're talking about, you know, financial interests and the glasses industry and contacts. And I'm going to dive deep into your method to actually reverse it on your own. I just know from my experience of LASIK that it's one of the things where it just felt so life-changing and so incredible and so amazing that I'm just very torn. <laughs> I'm torn. I'm torn. And that's totally cool. Like, I totally get it. Like, I'm not, I almost had LASIK. I got close, but I was too scared. I was like, ah, I can't, I don't think I can do it. But yeah, I, I get it totally, right? Like you you need these crutches all your life and then all of a sudden you do this thing and then you open your eyes and you can see perfectly. Like I'm totally with you. Like I'm not, and if it worked out, it worked out. That's great. It's just I, before you get it, I would listen to that dude, right? Just because at least you know how far the FDA went or te- definitely didn't go in making sure that this is safe, right? And that there are, it's just one of those things, like if if you want to take the chance and it works out, it's awesome. But if you were like, if you and I were friends going way back and you said, hey, I'm thinking about doing LASIK, I would point you to a bunch of these things and be like, it's a, you know, like there's, there's a big Facebook group, LASIK complications. And yeah, I talked to the, the admin once or twice her dry eyes are so bad she has to wear goggles just to keep, you know, there can't be any air movement in front of her eyes. And it's a big group. I, I don't know, big, like 10, 20,000 people and that are suffering and that's not a fixable thing. And she's still so upset. She wouldn't even, well, she didn't even want to talk to me because, yeah, it's just it's rough. So if it worked out, it's great. There's no nothing to worry about. And if you feel confident in the choice, then totally fine right like i'm not one to judge stuff i'm just saying there, there's some risks maybe and there's some alternatives maybe yeah no and i super appreciate it i'm all about more information the merrier for everything so that is great it made me think of a question so you were, you were saying that if my eyesight prior to the surgery was stable compared to getting progressively worse, then it's less likely that I'll have more issues afterwards. Mine was stable. It actually alternated between, it would, like every visit, I wouldn't know. It would either be the same or it might be like one step better or one step worse, but it kind of alternated between three. It wasn't on like a downward trend. It just kind of wavered between these these three different things. Like, is it in negatives? Like negative 1.75, two, negative two, and negative Yeah. So somewhere in that range. So my question from that is people whose eyesight is getting progressively worse. What is the difference between the person whose eyesight, you know, they need glasses, they have a prescription, but it, 
it's not getting worse compared to the person who it is getting worse? Is that all just epigenetics? It's all just their lifestyle and what they're doing with their lifestyle? Or is there some evolutionary thing in the eye that decides if it's going to continue to adjust and get worse? Hmm, That's a good one. There are genetic markers that determine how readily your eyeball elongates. So basically what that means is you and I both get glasses, but I am, you're Western and I'm Asian. And this is not, this is not a racist thing. There's just some of these genetic markers occur a lot more in certain Asian populations. You eyes stay the same. My eyes get worse because the marker is for my eyeball, the, the system in the eye that causes it to elongate, to adjust to glasses is more responsive. So that's one thing. Another thing is you and I might be playing video games, but after video games, you go outside and you go skating and I go play more video games or I watch TV. So while we appear to have the same habits that are not good for eyes, you you tend to do more things that are better for your eyes than I do. So maybe your eyesight doesn't get worse like mine does. Oh, and that's a question. So... I remember now. Mine was going between negative one fifty, negative one seventy five, and negative two. Is that is that right? Are those numbers that make sense? That makes sense. Okay. How quickly for a person who is just living their normal life and experiencing vision problems, can it change? Like, does it actually change during the day? Like if I had gone and had my prescription taken at a different time during the day, might it be different or compared to like the next day? Or is it more months, weeks? So that's a big can of worms because the fluctuation that you experienced is your eyesight's never the same. And that measurement that the optometrist does is not objective. It's if they're doing it in a dark room compared to a room in a room with natural good ambient light, your vision is going to be much worse in a dark room. Your pupils are wide open, your the eyesight, your retina has rods and cones on it, and it switches between rods and cones depending on the lighting. And in low lighting, your vision is not as good. So if they stick you in a dark room, and then, for example, they have a projected chart instead of a printed chart, the optical quality of the projected chart in a dark room is crap. So you can have 20-20 eyesight in an in outdoor shaded environment, and in that dark room, you might need a minus 1.5. And if you ate a pizza and had a Coke, and you're having a major insulin spike, and you had 20-20 vision before, in, it could be a minus 1 right now. And if you're stressed because you're having a fight with your partner, your eyesight could be a half doubt the worst. If you're, I could go on forever. Like you've been binging on Netflix, your eyesight's definitely worse. You didn't sleep well, your eyesight's worse. Conversely, you went hiking for a weekend and life's awesome. You're looking at an eye chart, you know, outside in, in, in your backyard, you have perfect vision. So significant amount of fluctuation, both from lighting and environment and your mental state Easy to measure. That's the, that's the thing I always recommend people do. Like you can check your weight with a scale. You can check your eyesight with a measuring tape. And it's super, super simple. And I think it's the most revealing thing that you can do for your eyesight is you buy a measuring tape. I like the little fabric ones that they use for clothes. They're like a dollar on Amazon. And for example, you had minus two, let's say. So you take a book and you hold it in front of your face perfectly clear. You pick a distance where the text is just razor sharp. And then you slowly move the book further and further away from your face. 
at minus two, you could move the book to 50 centimeters, sorry, I don't know, inches, and you would see the tiniest bit of blur. And the reason I magically know that it would be exactly 50 centimeters is because 100 divided by 50 is two, and two diopters is the glasses you would need for perfect eyesight. And that's all you need. You do not need an optometrist to measure your myopia. You need an ophthalmologist for eye health checkups. I recommend eye health checkups. But if you want to know what strength glasses would give me perfect eyesight, all you need is a book, a measuring tape, and figuring out that distance. And in your case, it would just be at 52 centimeters, you would notice the tiniest bit of blur, right? Because at 50 centimeters, the formula is 100 divided by the distance equals diopters. And that's all you need to measure your eyesight. And that fluctuation that you experience and that it goes up and down would be fixed or addressed by you measuring at home and then figuring out, okay, how bad was Netflix for me? How bad was the pizza for me? How much good lighting do I need for better eyesight? That's a long answer. Hi, friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. 
I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's amazing. And it's probably a good thing I didn't know that because I probably would have been... <laughs> doing all the experiments all the time, or maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. I was reading about blood sugar and how, and you you mentioned the insulin and how I think the blood sugar can actually literally diffuse into the lens and make them swollen and affect our eyesight. Yeah. If you're diabetic, you also have myopia. It's a, it's pretty definitive and all those things affect your eyesight, your eyesight. And that's the thing that I never understand. Like in the very beginning, you said it's topic I never talked about. And it's always like, stabbing me in the heart a tiny little bit because everybody says that it's such a strangely under explored topic and people don't care and i used to play this game i'm like okay you get a blindfold you put in front of your eyes how long can you wear it right like how unimportant are your eyes to your daily life and it's weird because we care about diet and how our hair is doing and and do we have the right amount of muscles but vision is so underappreciated. You know what I mean? I was thinking about it. I think the only time we have discussed eyes, I had David Sinclair on. He's a Harvard researcher who specializes in aging and they've been able to reverse aging in the eye or in rats, maybe. But that's the only time. And But I know like the facts about the eye are like mind-blowing if people actually learn them. Like I think, isn't it the most metabolically active part of our body, I think? Possibly. I don't know. My specialization is super specific just to... The myopia. Yeah. And you you have bad eyesight today. You don't want to have bad eyesight. Here's how you fix it. Like That's all my... Yeah. Well, speaking of how you fix it, so, so you have this magical answer. <laughs> I, I bet people are just dying to know. So what do people do since the issue is muscle spasms and getting locked in certain positions? Is it something with exercising your eyeballs? It's I'm lazy for exercises. So I, there is no exercises required. Amazing. You don't have to buy any eye vitamins. You don't have to do any exercises. It's just, I like the magic idea. Okay. Bring it on. <laughs> you don't have to do anything. So the short version, and I'm not going to, yeah, I'm, you elaborate or have me elaborate as much as you want. But the short version is every time you went to the optometrist, you got strong glasses. You didn't really because you got lucky. Like yours is really low. But for a lot of people, minus three, four, five, ten happens. And it happens gradually. And my approach is gradually making it unhappen. Like we're just going down instead of going up. And the hypothesis and this all up to now, this you can you can look at the science and it's really clear. There's no question what causes myopia. There's no question that classes make it worse. There's a huge question as to why my method works that my detractors like to point out. And my guess is that your eyeball shortens. And we've had people that measure their eyes before, during, after, showing that their eyeball has shortened, but there's not nearly enough data for me to claim that that's definitively the case. But the short version is basically you wear slightly weaker glasses. If you're wearing a minus two before, you go to a minus 1.75. And then 
UI is a very slightly challenged. You can still see everything. You recognize people, facial expressions. You don't have any trouble. But if you're reading the menu in a dark Starbucks or the subtitles on a TV show, you notice that it takes a little bit of challenge. Three or four months down the road, the challenge is gone. And you go from a minus 1.75 to a minus 1.5. And the same thing happens again. There's a little bit of challenge that lasts for three or four months. And then a challenge is gone. And then you go to a minus 1.25. And you keep doing that till you no longer need glasses. Okay, but wait, but here's the question. But there was a point where I didn't have glasses. Go back to that girl like me in the past <laughs> before I had glasses and I can't see. What would she do if she's never had glasses? Yeah, so the... The first pair of glasses that you get is compensating for muscle spasm. So you could get glasses at that point that would be weaker than, right? Like if they told you minus 1.75, I'd say get a minus 1.25 and only wear them when you can't see stuff, right? Like don't leave them on because the number one way that your, your eyes get worse is you're wearing glasses when you don't need them. But if you're wearing those all the time, computer use, and then you sit in front of the computer and read books for 14 hours every day, then a year from then, the minus 1.75 would no longer be enough. If you take them off every time, you don't need them, your eyes wouldn't get worse. And the other thing is, you would have been surprised at changing some habits or being more aware of distance vision and using it more targeted would have improved your eyesight fairly noticeably. Most likely, I can't, you know, I'm not saying that this is a definitive truth, but for a lot of people where it's like, okay, the, the problem was really the close-up focus and the environment of the close-up focus and how much we're compensating with, you know, you, you started archery or volleyball and you started reading eye charts, maybe six months from there, your minus two would have been a minus 1.25 anyway, right? There's a lot of flexibility in how well your eyes can actually see. I really wish they would do some studies on this. Like if a kid who has trouble with their vision and then they start doing sports or something, if it, if it changes. Who's going to pay for it? That's the problem. That's a good question. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's a very good question. Okay. So, so basically, so the approach is that you get glasses or contacts that are a little bit, not quite, exactly what you need to see. They're like slightly less. So there's like a slight blur when you use them and then you don't use them that much. But then when you need to see something far away, you put them on to look at that thing. Depending on how strong your glasses are. In your case, yes. Somebody who's got minus five is always going to wear glasses. For example, in the minus five example, which is me, you would get one pair of glasses for computer use. Because remember when I said only wear them when you need them? With minus five, you need them all the time because you're very squinty at that point at any distance. So I'd get a minus four for computer use, even a little less, like minus 3.5 for computer use. So now I sit in front of a computer that will be like you taking your glasses off, but mine are so strong that going adopt and a half lower, I'm going to see the computer clearly, but only that distance. So that is super relaxing for your eyes, by the way, for anybody who wears strong glasses today and just generally has discomfort from close-up. Not You're not even really noticing it, but it, it's maybe not that pleasant. You, if you have a minus five, if you buy a minus 3.5 just for computer use, 
you use them for a month just for your close-up, if you ever put on your minus fives in front of your computer, you're going to immediately feel nauseous and they're going to seem way too strong and it's going to be super unpleasant because you're so habituated to this eye strain from the but glass is meant to give you clear distance vision to infinity and you use them in front of a computer that's 60 centimeters from your face is super strenuous. So if you rebuild the strain awareness by wearing weaker glasses in front of your computer, it's going to be amazing. And you will never go back to wearing full power glasses for your close-up. I will say, just as a, a quick testimony to this, Brad Kearns is who connected us, who I've had on the show, and I'll, I'll put a link to the show notes with him. But he was saying, he was like, you got to have this guy on. He's like, I started doing his exercises and I improved. Uh, he was giving me his stats, but he was just, you know, praising the the method. And so I was I was very much impressed and very excited to talk to you. Brad doesn't wear glasses anymore. He's done. And he was wearing glasses for reading and for distance. He's got a lot of energy to begin with. I love Brad. Brad's great. He's like the most inner he just I just smile when I think about him because he just he's just so funny and so energetic. Mr. Triathlon. Yeah. So he, he he's out of glasses. And I was super happy because I talked to so many people, right? And and normally it's in one ear out the other, but Brad was all about it and he kept in touch and he was so excited when he was like, I don't, he wear them for everything, right? He needed them to read and he needed them to see clearly the distance. And he's really physically active. So he didn't love that. He's not needing corrective lenses for anything. Oh yeah. That's weird that he had them being what he does. There goes my theory about extreme, you know, athletics. All you need is to remove the barrier from letting your eyes do what they want to do. I have, I have a podcast, so it's not, I'm not advertising it. I only talk to people who improve their eyesight and it's not big. It's not a lot. It's just sometimes I feel like you need to hear from other people. And whenever it's people that are into sports, like surfers, it's so easy. They improve so quickly because at that point, all you're doing is removing the thing that's stopping them from having better eyesight. They're in the environment that hopefully would support the goal that they're trying to get to. Yeah. Brad plays golf. Golf is the world's perfectest sport for improving your eyesight. You're, you're following a tiny little white ball in a green field. Like that is the perfect exercise for your eyes right there. Wow. How long did it take Brad? How long does it take people in general? I guess that question depends on where you're starting or does it depend on where you're starting? For Brad, it takes half as long as everybody else. But in general, it's almost adopter a year. So 0 0.75 per year is the standard average. And that translates to every three to four months, you can reduce a quarter doctor. If you're, and I'm giving you the, this is the short version, like the full, like all the details on, on the practical approach we could spend hours talking about, but the short version is every three to four months, your eyes in generally have adjusted. If you have good habits, you're not completely addicted to your screen. You can make a reduction every three to four months. Speaking of the screens. So what are your suggestions? What are you doing with your kids? You said you have two two babies? Yes. What do you suggest for healthy habits for how we engage with up-close devices? And also, does it matter? Is there a difference, do you know, between reading books up-close for a long time compared to screens with blue light and that exposure? So with kids, my answer is kind of extreme, and I'm not saying you should do this, but I moved them to an off-grid jungle where there's no internet. Didn't work out. Because the jungle is in Myanmar, and Myanmar now has a civil war. So we literally had to dramatically get them out of there. And it was, it was 
just out of a movie. Was that that was recently? That was recently. Yeah, that that's, their civil war started last year, and it's real. Like they they're killing the neighbors. Like it's just yeah, it's super intense. And you lived there. I lived there. Yeah. So it was a peaceful place. It was super cool and. The baby mama is from there and she said, I want to go back there. So we built a house there, completely off grid, super cool, like well and and solar and everything. And part of me being so open-minded about it is because I wanted my kids to grow up not in school where every other seven-year-old has a phone, right? Like just formative years, playing, getting bored. I'm a huge proponent of boredom, right? Like creativity happens after you're bored long enough. And I don't want to take that away from my kids, like that, that overstimulation and oversaturation and just being constantly surrounded by things that are not good for a small child. So I went with that and that's, that's not necessary, but also whenever we were in the city, he wasn't allowed to hold phones. Like whenever people would give him phones, cause he's small, right? He wants to play with them. He learned really quickly that cartoons and stuff can happen and we travel a lot. So we take an iPad but we would put the iPad on the bed and he'd be on the opposite end of the bed. And he didn't even talk yet, but scooch back was one of the first words he learned. <laughs> he was so little, he was so tiny. Like, I'm like, I can't believe that he knows this already. You'd say scooch back and he couldn't even walk, right? He would just wiggle his way back on the bed because he knew that was too close to the screen. Yeah, no, that's amazing. If, if parents actually, cause that would be something that the kid, I'm getting so excited. That'd be something that the kids would like learn as just a habit, you know? He knows. And that distance is super key. Like the bed distance, the iPad's on one end, little him is on the other end, and we have a pillow there that kind of denotes the separation. That's a super great distance. An iPad isn't that big, so his eyes are even like, they're working for seeing stuff clearly. That's super great for his eyes. If you gave him a phone to hold in his short little arms, that would be super terrible for his eyes. And at this point now, he's just... That's how he functions. Like he doesn't want to hold a phone. Like he's he's so used to that distance that he's good with that. Friends, you guys know I love wine. Do you love wine? I've done a lot of research on wine and I truly believe there are a myriad of health benefits. The longest lived populations drink wine. The polyphenols have a ton of potential health benefits, activating anti-aging sirtuins, potentially supporting our immunity, maybe even encouraging weight loss. Yep, it's actually not alcohol that makes people gain weight. It's what they eat when they drink. But if you want all of the benefits of wine, the type of wine you're drinking is key. Conventional wine in the US is often full of toxins. We're talking things like pesticides, mold, and additives. Dyes, colorizers, artificial flavors. Have you even seen some wine that says vegan? That's because conventional wine isn't even necessarily vegan because of the additives. I am obsessed with a company called Dry Farm Wines. They're not a wine producer, but rather a wine investigator. They go all throughout Europe and they find the wineries practicing organic practices, and then they test those wines to make sure the wines are, wait for it, low alcohol, low sugar, free of toxins, free of mold, and truly supportive of your health. I'm obsessed with Dry Farm Wines. One of the most fun things for me as a wine lover is you get mixed boxes of wine and it introduces you to varietals from all over the world. The wines taste amazing and you can say goodbye to hangovers. If you think you can't drink wine, you've got to try Dry Farm Wines. I am obsessed. You can get a bottle for a penny. Yes, a penny. Just go to dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to claim your penny bottle. That's dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon. All right, now back to the show. 
Wow. Okay. That's really motivating. I'm going to start sharing this information as something for people to really consider for future generations. Because I think people definitely look at the social aspects and the issues with technology and all of that. But I don't think a lot of people are thinking about this aspect with the eyes. Print an eye chart. If you have kids, print an eye chart, hang it up at home. It's the same as a scale, right? Like if your kids have good eyesight, good for you, good for them, but you print an eye chart, you should print an eye chart post LASIK. Everybody should print an eye chart and just have it up because just like what we talked about before, your vision fluctuates and you put it up somewhere in your house and then you mark, just put a piece of tape on the floor where the right distance is because there's there's three meter charts, there's six meter charts, there's all kinds of charts. And then just in passing, take a look at it. And then, you know, you're having a great day or bad day. Just take a look at it. You're going to start noticing how much your eyesight varies. I just think it's good for you. It gives you great context for another part of your biology that gives you feedback that you otherwise don't notice. And for kids, it's just, if your kids have good eyesight, just, you know, sometimes just look at the chart when that moment comes where the child can't read the small line that they could read before we need to make sure that we're we're clear on distance with computer games with phones with homework stuff are we getting an outdoor hobby are we still doing enough things really easy to compensate at that point and much better than going to the optometrist and getting glasses would another part of the outdoor part of it have anything to do with our eyes exposure to natural sunlight I was reading today that it has something to do with how it affects dopamine in the eye and how that inhibits the growth of the eye, I think. That's, and that's, oh, and that's what you were asking before about the uh, books versus screens and the, the blue light and stuff. So it's like, like McDonald's. I compare it to McDonald's or Coke and Coke Zero. It's your eyes are getting worse from close up and then from glasses. Like those are the things that are the single largest contributor to the issue. People know this, don't know this, but if you tell them this, it's like, well, that makes a lot of sense. Nobody wants to think about it. Nobody wants to face that reality. Nobody wants to go have a screen addiction and I shouldn't watch four hours of Netflix every night. So when somebody comes out with blue blocking glasses and goes, this will fix it, Kind of does, right? Like there are some metabolic effects that are not my specialty for sure. Like the blue light is an issue, right? Like there's, there's stuff. The problem is the four hours of Netflix, right? Like the problem is Coke. And then Coke says, no, no, Coke zero. There's no sugar in it. Now you're good. McDonald's says we have salads. We're all set. So it's this substitute and digging really hard for alternate solutions or yes, Outdoor and sunlight, sure, absolutely. There's tons of effects. There's discussions about how much UV light you need and positively may be affecting your eyesight. There's all those things going on that sometimes frustrate me a tiny little bit because I'm like, the solution is much simpler, right? Like you can be, you can be in all kinds of circumstances, and your eyesight will be great or terrible based on how much time are you spending up close? Is that muscle stuck? And did somebody sell you glasses? You know what I mean? Like it's it's the ninety percent, and that gets ignored in favor of a complicated. But there could also be this going on, and people love it, just like they love, you know, eye yoga and eye vitamins. Nobody wants to face the simple truth that we just spend way too much time in front of screens, and we don't have any interesting hobbies. 
Well, I was going to say an analogy would be like your diet, having a bad diet for you, but then just trying to take vitamins or something. Wonder bread, fortified with vitamins. Yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, this has been super, super amazing. For listeners who would like to learn more and implement these protocols and end their myopia, do you have programs on your website or more information? How does it all work? So I call it open source, mainly because I'm lazy and I already have enough money. So everything I know, (laughs) it's terrible. We have courses, but they're usually quote unquote sold out, which really means I'm kite surfing and I don't want to do support. There's over 1200 how-to articles and guides on our website and myopia.org. We've got a terrible YouTube channel that has tons of videos also explaining lots of things. We have a a big Facebook group, well big, it's like 20 some thousand people. We have a big forum that's like 90,000, tons of community and resources basically to DIY this, figure it out. It's, it's, I think it's a super interesting journey that just starts with just measure. Like even if you're like, yeah, whatever, I'm going to do LASIK maybe, or I have, I like my contact lenses, just measure your eyes, just print an eye chart, just get a measuring tape just for the experience of how much that varies and how much you can affect it. And then read through the site. I have an email guide that kind of walks you through all the basic stuff and then big community for support. Like there's tons of people doing this and there's tons of people asking questions and there's tons of people communicating about their, their progress. Well, we will put links to all of that in the show notes. Can I ask you a slightly controversial question and then a happier question to end things? (laughs) So the controversial one is I knew you were coming on the show and I was looking into your work and everything and, you know, talking to you and from what I've researched, I mean, this is such an incredible, valuable resource that you're offering people. I mean, it's literally life-changing. You're a bit of a legend, kind of to bring things full circle from the beginning with your origin story. I want a statue. Can I just say that? I want a statue. I want a statue. A statue. I'll, I'll put that on the to-do list, see if we can get that erected. So, you know, so many people in your community experiencing these life-changing stories of how they're fixing their eyesight. But there's also these like tangents in like the Reddit worlds of people who are not happy with what you were doing. I'm wondering, what do you think is going on there? Like, why do you think people are not open to this idea that you have or to this work that you're doing? Oh my God, I love those. Whenever I find one, I quote it, I post it, you know. There was a really good one recently where somebody said, it only improves your eyes, not your myopia. I love that one. It's just classic. Oh, oh, right. <laughs> Wait, that's great. That- <laughs> okay, a few things. Number one, I'm wrong a lot. So I'm a big fan of people telling me that I'm wrong and how I'm wrong. I would much rather have somebody point it out to me than me sounding like an idiot for the next 20 years. Yeah, that's amazing. That's how I feel. I'm like, tell me how I'm wrong, please. Like, I want to know. Yeah, especially now, right? Because it's still small compared to how big it could get. And if somebody points it out today and a thousand people laugh at me, that's cool. It's better than, I'm not saying it will, but what if it blows up and then we figure out that I'm an idiot? Like, so... I love the, for one, I think skepticism is incredibly important with topics like this. There's tons of stuff on the internet that is risky, dangerous, misleading, misguided. Whenever somebody comes to me and is skeptical, but logical, I'm a big fan by all means. Like, please do it with everything because you're going to run into so many crazy, crazy things 
if you're not skeptical. So skepticism, I'm a big fan of. People poking holes into what I'm saying, I'm a huge fan of. Please, please do that. And then the third thing is, I think, my parents are both medical doctors. My dad believes statin drugs are the answers to heart disease. And I've been on podcasts that deal with this extensively, and I've been... I've gotten some great lessons and education on what goes on and I don't take statin drugs. And I pointed out to my dad, some of the things I learned and documentaries I've watched and CAC scans and all this stuff. He doesn't want to hear it. And that was one of those moments where I was like, this is not a stranger. You're right. Like this is not some random person. This is my father who really cares and worries about heart disease. And here I'm like, here's some really really insightful things on why statins may not be the answer. Doesn't want to hear it. And I asked a psychologist friend of mine and he's like, well, it's our reality, our perception of reality is like, there's like pillars that hold our reality up. Things we've learned that we found to be true that define reality for us. If those are really easy to change, we're going to lose our grip on reality, right? Like, if suddenly tomorrow the earth is not round, that's a big, what else is not true, right? It's really traumatic for the brain and we really resist changes in things that we have decided are true because if we do that, then what else is not true? It's going to unravel how we see the world. So Reddit, especially optometry, that's what people believe. And if you are in the business and if you've told people for 10 years that myopia is genetic, that is your reality, right? And you can't just go, my reality is wrong because number one, your ego, right? Number two, what happens to all the people that I've told this? Number three, what else in my life did I believe that's totally not right? So people defend ideas that they believe very vigorously and I respect that, right? I used to be really critical and outspoken about retail optometry and I'm becoming much more respectful because I'm looking at, okay, this is, while I don't believe you're right, I understand how important it is to your sanity to not be traumatically influenced. Like you can gradually maybe change your perspective. But for today, when you're first exposed to a guy who says all of this is nonsense, I understand why you hate me. Like it's, it's totally reasonable. I love that so much. I think for me, one of the most enlightening things was when I started reading the split brain studies where they have patients basically where the left and right brain aren't communicating the way that they would be normally. And so they're able to, you know, do tests where only one part of their brain sees something. And in the experiments, the participants will literally make up stories, like make up complete lies but they think it's true. And it's because the language part of their brain hasn't seen the information that it needs to create truth or to know what's happening. So it just makes up a truth and the people believe it. And ever since I've read those studies, I'm like, okay, I, I know nothing. Like literally, literally my brain could be just like making up a story about everything. So that kind of frees you from what you were talking about with, you know, if you're, what you thought was so true is threatened by an alternative truth yeah, it could threaten your reality and you could question everything in your life. Or you could just realize that that's the way it is with everything, that anything might not be true. So <laughs> that's why we just got to keep seeking truth and seeing seeing what lines up. And meanwhile, to all those people as much, uh, like I said, I appreciate all of it. And it also, it's weird because some of those people that are trolling or just aggressively upset, 
they don't realize that that adds to my entertainment a huge amount. I love it. You know what I mean? I post them all the time. Like the one-star reviews are some of my favorite things because they're just often hilarious. That's so funny. That's amazing. Well, I love that. And so then the non-controversial question, it's the last question that I ask every single guest on this show. And it's just because I realize more and more each day how important mindset is. So what is something that you're grateful for? Everything every day. I'm, I'm super negative by default. Right? Like I, it's my, I don't know if it's my upbringing or my nature or whatever, but I get up in the morning and I try to spend time just thinking about all the things that are amazing. And I'm super spoiled in my life because my life in general is just amazing. Like I've having found this and like being around so many people that are excited about this and being able to contribute something positive to the world instead of just sitting in the back, complaining about it, like feeling like I'm adding some, some values, amazing. And just being healthy and living in a place where things aren't locked down. I'm sorry to anybody who is just, I think it's super important just to be grateful because it's just as easy to focus on the negative. And I'm just, I don't have a thing because I just, everything is pretty amazing. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Jake. This has been absolutely amazing. I as well am so grateful for the work that you're doing. It is truly paradigm shifting and not just on an esoteric theoretical level, but it's literally changing people's lives. And I'm really excited listeners. You have to let me know if you try this method and the changes that you experience would be really, really excited to hear back. So thank you for everything that you're doing. This has been absolutely amazing and we'll have to stay in touch and talk again in the future. Thank you so much. I'm grateful for you having me on also, even though it's late there. Oh, I know. Well, I am a, I am a night bird. So I actually think for this conversation, it was probably worse for you having to get up early than me staying up late. If you're like me, if we're both, like we said, if we're both not morning people. <laughs> so I do not love mornings at all. No, me, ne- me neither. Okay. All right. Well, enjoy your day. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got this.